Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. We're so excited to have you here with us today on this Tuesday. What a fun show we've got. My buddy Ryan Lavoy back with us as we're discussing Duke men's basketball heading to the Final Four. It's so amazing. My name is JJ Jackson. I'm the host of this podcast. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Blue Devils for free wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day. Make sure you also subscribe to our Locked on Blue Devils YouTube page to watch the show daily. Thank you for making Locked on Blue Devils your first listen every single day. Let's get right into it here on this Tuesday. Ryan LaVoy back with me. He's been joining me throughout this March Madness run for the Duke Blue Devils. It's ironic. We're the best friends in the whole wide world. He is a North Carolina fan and supporter. His parents being graduates of that fine university. Ryan and I work professionally in the radio business here in Auburn, Alabama. And uh, Duke is taking on UNC. Duke versus Carolina, the greatest rivalry in college basketball in the Final Four in March Madness for the first time ever. We've got a lot to talk about today, Ryan. How are you? We do. It was almost written in the stars with uh, my appearances have had an uptick here of of late (laughs) uh, as we got to March Madness. Yeah. uh, Not knowing that it would be the first time these two amazing programs would actually hook up in the NCAA tournament. Uh, And alas, we have arrived. When we started before the Cal State Fullerton game in the first round, I wanted to hear you say, just because you keep it real with me from time to time, and obviously there's the the North Carolina Tar Heel in the back of your brain that's operating and helping you form opinions and think, I wanted to hear you say that this Duke team has the most talent in the country and that they're very capable of winning the national championship despite not being a one seed. And here we are. They're becoming the favorites to get the job done, and now I'm nervous. Well, I mean, I, I think you would agree that I have respected this 100%. Duke team. 100%. And my only questions were just kind of relative to what the ACC was. Well, then the ACC had an incredible NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, that's indicative of the fact that this Duke-Carolina game is going to happen, but then also Miami going to the Elite Eight and seeing a lot of other conferences' top teams crash out early. So... The question was not whether Duke was talented enough to win, as you alluded to. They, I've always felt, I've always agreed with you, they're the most talented team, and that is evident in who they've got selected to go where in the NBA draft. But it was just a question of meshing, and that's all it ever is. That's all the question ever is because Duke and Kentucky typically, in a vacuum, bring in the most talented rosters year in, year out. There are obviously some exceptions you can pick at, whatever, but recruiting class-wise, Duke's always up there, Kentucky's always up there, maybe Kansas, maybe Carolina, but that's a constant. And so the question is not, is Duke talented enough to win the title? It's, is Duke cohesive enough to win the title? And until this NCAA tournament, I think it was fair to question that based off not being able to beat Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament final, not being able to beat Carolina in the final home game. But Again, when you have the talent, that means you're only one thing away. Some people have to be so cohesive and have such great chemistry to overcome a talent gap. If the most talented team does become coherent and does become 
together, then there's no stopping that. And Duke is the most talented team, and they have become coherent. They have become cohesive. And I think with the evidence of that was starting the Michigan State game, yeah, because that was a game down five with four or five minutes left. That's the exact situation they had lost in in prior situations. And to win that game was clear evidence that it was gelling and it was coming together, and now it has. And I think Duke should be favored to win the national championship. It's not a lock, but they should be favored because they're the most talented team, and you can't say anyone has more chemistry than what they do at the moment. Duke trailed late in the basketball game against Texas Tech, and then once again, Jeremy Roach took over. Duke had as large of an 18-point lead over Arkansas. They led by 12 at the half over the Razorbacks and went on to win. You talk about the most outstanding player of the West region. Of course, Mike Krzyzewski won the West region for the first time in his career. Kind of wild that of his 13 Final Four appearances, this was the first one that he got by way of the West region. Uh, Paulo Banquero was named the most outstanding player. And then on the all-region team, two players from Arkansas, and then Mark Williams, Paulo Banquero, and Jeremy Roach. What impressed you most about Duke this last weekend? and those three players in particular. Yeah, so I've talked a lot about Jeremy Roach um, these last few weeks. Yes, and you have. Look, Bancaro should not go under the radar. He's still been playing great. Uh, his three ball against Texas Tech, pivotal. Killer, yep. Um He's awesome. a low low 30s three-point shooter that went three of four when they absolutely needed it. And so Bancaro's play can't be uh, overlooked. But I think Mark Williams starting to make more than just dunks is important because he's always been a great defensive player and he's always been good on the glass. But now that he can actually go up with it, they feed him and he take advantage of a smaller player. They did that multiple right. times over the week, over the past weekend. And then, like I said, I, I've talked about Roach a lot. And the reason I've talked about him a lot is when you have great offensive teams like Duke, what you try and do when you're playing them is what would you be happy with? What would you accept? Who on that great offensive team would you be, you know what, this is a win to get them to shoot. Even if they make it, this is a win. And for half the year, it felt like a win for Jeremy Roach to shoot the ball if you're the opposing team. You didn't want Bancaro touching it. You didn't want Wendell Moore, who's shot 40% from three all year. I know he's trailed off in the points department a little bit, but still shot a really good percentage. You didn't want him shooting. You didn't want Bancaro. You didn't want Mark Williams to get a layup. And so you wanted, and, and at that time, Keels was playing really well, so you didn't want Keels to do much either. You wanted Jeremy Roach to take those shots. And now you look out on the floor, and you see that Griffin is healthy, and he's shot great, and he's played great. See Bancaro continue that. You see Wendell Moore still been reliable. You see Mark Williams maybe add to his game throughout the season. And you would say the, la- the only other person is Jeremy Roach, but Jeremy Roach has played really well. And so now you're not comfortable with anybody on Duke's offense. That everyone is a threat. And then they only really play six and a half because they've not been playing Theo John as much recently. And so Trevor Keels off the bench, you don't love him shooting. I, I guess the way he's played of late uh, would be someone that you'd, I guess, prefer if you could say it that way. But Jeremy Roach has been so critical to what they've done because Bancaro's been good all year. Wendell Moore's been a threat all year. Uh, and as you talked about, Mark Williams has been important all year, maybe not offensively, but he's become more important. But I, I can't say enough about that development because that's not usually what happens, 
still for an underclassman playing with guys that are going to go in the lottery of the NBA draft. Let me verbally say Trevor Keel's name for the first time in the podcast today. I tell you, Trevor Keels goes scoreless in the Texas Tech game before the game is played. Any chance Duke wins? Um, Could you have seen it that? It lowers it. I could have seen it. I, I, I'll be honest. I could have seen wow. it because if you'll remember we talked about, I didn't think Texas Tech would even get to 73. Sure. I didn't think they had the right kind of offense to play Duke because I didn't think they would hit a lot of threes, which they took a decent amount, but they hit right on that 31, 32% number. But I didn't think they'd get much around the rim because I just thought that they were right. gonna. It would be so obvious that a play down there, Williams would would block a lot of shots, and they certainly affected some shots. But it really, on man defense, Duke was not great in that game. It was when they went zone that Texas Tech got confused for a good five six trips. It was brilliant, and then Tech started to run some good stuff, and they got some better shots. But just going to zone threw Texas Tech off a lot. So. But be quite frank, I didn't think Texas Tech would score mid, mid-70s mid or so. So that's why I, th- I would have said, you know, it's still possible because Bancaro can get you 20, Griffin can get you around 20, you look at Moore can get you 15 to 20. So I'm already approaching that 55-60 number with three guys. And like I said, I've been so high on Jeremy Roach as well. So I wouldn't say the chances were slim. But, I yeah, certainly if you've got only six, seven guys playing and one of them's not going to score at all that's capable of double figures, yeah, that does bring the percentage down a little bit. We'll talk about the significance of Mike Krzyzewski going to his 13th Final Four for the Duke basketball program in just a moment. Today's show of Locked On Blue Devils is brought to you by Stat Hero. Here we go, the Final Four. This is for all the marbles, and it's coming your way on Saturday. Stat Hero's NCAA single-game pickups, including the Final Four, pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and and sports gambling. We're going to see a lot of smack talk on Saturday night between Paulo Bancaro and Amando Baycott. Take advantage of this over at Stat Hero. When you take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage, start focusing on the players that you know best with the gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for a 100% match. Stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Locked on Blue Devils, JJ Jackson with Ryan Lavoy. Follow our show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. Thank you very much for making Locked on Blue Devils your first listen every single day. All right, as we move forward, with Duke men's basketball, Coach K is going to his 13th Final Four as the head coach. He's been there 42 seasons in Durham. That is the most Final Fours of any head coach in the history of the sport. Why is that significant, Ryan? Well, it's significant because Coach K has adapted to every style of play. Um, obviously, the one-and-done stuff was not the 1980s yeah. and 1990s, but... He won with guys developing them into great players year after year, the Grant Hills of the world, et cetera, Christian Leitner, that he really made into great players and won in that time period. And now he's become the king of one-and-done guys, but has won with them as well, you know, and, and won back in 15 with some young guys. Um, 
I think 2010 was still a veteran group, but you know, he's been to all these final fours. And like I said, I just think to summarize it, it, it's someone that is great because he's great because he knows how to coach because he knows how to lead, not because of he took advantage of one set of rules or one era of play, you know, and, and that shouldn't be, you know, so like that, that sounds like such a captain obvious thing, but I don't, I don't want this guy to catch a stray, but I guess he's about to catch a stray. It's like Jim Beheim's not been very good for several years now. Right. Like Syracuse has not been very good. And I know they made one little magical run, but you know, they've Duke has been able to, be good against whatever set of rules and whatever time period with transfer portal or one and dones or whatever. Um, and, and so it just, it just shows you that K is adaptable and that he's a legend. Yes. Cause he won and, and has done all this, but because he can adapt just like anybody else and does not think there's just one way of doing things has been able to take advantage of whatever it is that college basketball will allow and has been able to just outdo everybody else in it. Incredible that Coach K is heading to his 13th Final Four. Tom Izzo has eight. He is the second most among active coaches. Roy Williams had nine. Dean Smith had 11. John Wooden had 12. Jim Beheim five Final Four appearances in 87, 96, 03, 13, and 16. Rick Pitino has five. Two more were taken away with asterisks, of course. Calipari has been to four. Uh, of course, he had two vacated. Uh, Bill Self has been to four. Jay Wright has been to four. Kind of looking forward. Uh, are, you, are you buying some Jay Wright stock to climb those final four rankings among coaches? Well, he's been great as a late, but you know, to say he's going to get to, what, 13? No. I, I mean, I, I don't think 13 is unbreakable. But I don't think there's anyone coaching right now that's well into their careers that's getting there. Um, because, you know, Coach K still needed, if you want to look at it this way, it's not a great way of looking at it, but just for the sake of trying to break a record, you need to do something for a long time. And 13 Final Fours is a lot. And it's also done over a lot of years. What, 42? Yeah. And so... What you're going to tell me, because 13 is still pretty high volume, I mean, pretty good efficiency to go, you know, every three years, essentially, 13 and 39 years would be one out of three. So almost every three years, he's going to a Final Four. You mean someone is going to do that for the same amount of time, but at a better rate? Because otherwise, you're saying someone's either got to coach like 50 years in this day and age, they've got to coach from like 25 to 75 or 30 to 80. Right. And it's got to be that efficient going to Final Fours. So while I don't think it's impossible to be broken, I don't think it's very likely because, like I said, one out of every three to four years, there ain't many programs doing that, and certainly not for 40, 40 years. So Jay Wright's great, and his last seven or eight years are as good as you can do almost in seven or eight years, especially given he's in this Final Four, and we'll see what he can make out of that. but. I, I, you know, Wright's great, but I don't think that if you're asking, you know, can someone challenge Wooden's 12 or K's 13? Not right now, no. There's like a dynasty aspect to it as well. So Tom Izzo has eight. He is also 67 years old right. I, at Michigan State. But Mike Krzyzewski, seven of the 13 came in a nine-year stretch 
from 1986 until 1994, and he won two of those uh, seven Final Four appearances, 86, 88, 89, 90, titles in 91 and 92, and then went in 94 in Grant Hill's final year where they lost to Arkansas in the national championship game. And I'll also suggest that it would be really hard to do something like that in this day and age of college basketball because you're not going to have the same guys all those years. Yeah. You know, and Duke had True. a lot of guys play three and four years back then, as as everyone did. But you're simply not going to have players that are that good for that long stay in college. So I, I would just contend that it would be nearly impossible <laughs> to do something like that because the roster turnover is too high. The 1989 Duke recruiting class went to a Final Four every single year that they were in school. That's a pretty good run. I, I'd pretty say, good run yeah. with uh, Bobby Hurley, Chris Leitner, of course Grant Hill. A little bit, little bit later, but uh, many Final Fours for those guys. Uh, exciting stuff as as Duke once again is heading to the Final Four coming up on Saturday. Cannot wait to watch the game. It's going to be epic, and I certainly hope that the Blue Devils are able to get the job done and take on the winner of Villanova or Kansas. Very briefly, Ryan, your thoughts on, on just two more. Kind of blue blood, so to speak. We gave Jay Wright some praise there. Bill Self has been to four Final Fours as well. Both of these guys at four. Uh, Bill Self with the one national championship. Jay Wright has two, but the other matchup, Kansas and Villanova. Well, obviously, we talked about Jay Wright and his last six or seven years since beating North Carolina in uh, that national championship game with Chris Jenkins' shot. That really started this period of, well, Jay Wright's actually an elite coach. He was good before, but he hadn't won anything too significant. And then he won two championships in three years, going to this Final Four. They've been contenders ever since. And so Wright's been great, but then Bill Self for a longer period of time. Uh, it was a big deal. I know it's now kind of becoming a long time ago, but it was a big deal when he won that national championship with Kansas beating Memphis because as far as great as Roy is, and Carolina people like myself love him to death, Kansas people weren't in love with Roy the same way Carolina people are because they never won a national championship under Roy. And then he goes to Carolina, and three years later, he's got one, but Kansas didn't love that, and Kansas being one of the five historical programs of all time, just like Duke and Carolina, they expect to win in a 15-, 20-year period at least one championship. And so Bill Self kind of represented something different, and something a return to normalcy in that regard. So I think it's a great matchup. Uh, I, I think Kansas should be favored here just because I think they've got a little bit more of a ceiling in both offense and defense. I think that you saw what Kansas can do as far as far as their offense throughout the Big 12 season. And maybe saying ceiling on defense higher, maybe that's not fair because Villanova obviously just played a great defensive game against Houston. But I think Kansas can win in a few more ways than Villanova can. But uh, certainly with Jay Wright, that, that's going to be a very competitive game. But Kansas' second half against Miami was not expecting that at all. Allowed under 20 points in that half. So bottom line, both these teams are going to do similar things. We should probably expect something a little lower scoring, but it'll be very competitive. Three of the now four Final Fours that Jay Wright has made it to as the head coach of the Villanova Wildcats. The Tar Heels have also been in that Final Four. 2009, North Carolina beat them before going to the national championship game. North Carolina won the 2016, or lost the 2016 National Championship to Villanova on that last second shot you just mentioned a moment ago. And then here this year, uh, from the Kansas perspective, I do agree. I think Kansas wins the basketball game on Saturday, and that could set up the possibility that Mike Krzyzewski's first title 
and last title would be in defeats over Kansas. He won the 1991 National Championship by defeating Roy Williams and the Kansas Jayhawks, and he would have an opportunity to win his last National Championship against Kansas if uh, that were to happen coming up uh, this upcoming Monday, six days from now. History either way. Yeah, someone well, we, like that. we will see. We will see. All right, let's talk about this Duke and North Carolina matchup right after this on Locked On Blue Devils. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Best time of year, March Madness in the Final Four. And Bet Online has some good new lines and odds for you to talk about as the Blue Devils opened up as just over a four point favorite against North Carolina. Duke also has the best odds to win the NCAA tournament. Duke, three to two odds. Kansas, 2-1 to one odds. Villanova, 22-5. And North Carolina, the uh, lowest odds in the field, 19-4 to four odds. Paula Bancaro has the best odds, according to our friends at BetOnline, to win NCAA tournament. Most outstanding player at 5-2. Ochai Abadji, second best odds at 4-1. to one. He stars for Kansas. BetOnline, your number one source for all your betting and needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. You can find everything you need at betonline.net. It's also your continued source for all the sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. Final segment here today of Locked On Blue Devils. J.J. Jackson hanging out with Ryan LaVoy. Coming up on Saturday, we'll have the Final Four from New Orleans. The first game of the evening will be Kansas versus Villanova. But then, it's the greatest rivalry in college basketball meeting for the first time in the NCAA tournament. Duke versus UNC. How does North Carolina win this game on Saturday, in your eyes? Make everything. <laughs> because that's a good start. That, that, that's essentially how they had to beat Duke at Cameron. I mean, that was a game where North Carolina just made just about everything. Now, granted, Duke did not play good defense in that game whatsoever, and Carolina ran pick and roll 57,000 times in that game, as they really do in just about any game. But I think was how I would break it down is Carolina beats Duke if they – do such a good job of adjusting to Duke's defenses. And why I say that is I would be shocked if Duke played 40 minutes a man in this game. They got killed with it at home. You give up 94 someone. I mean, that's just never going to go over well. But you've seen in this NCAA tournament more and more zone from Duke. And they've used it at key times, and it's disrupted the other team's offense every single time. Duke's played pretty good zone. Yeah. And so I would be shocked if they didn't play zone at some point. So the biggest thing for Carolina is when they see that zone, what's their plan? Because they feel that they can score on Duke when it's just man, but can they not freak out? Will Caleb shoot up the 30-footers even if he's not made them yet? But bottom line is Duke has more paths to victory here. If you're saying this game's in the 60s, Duke can win it. If it's in the 70s, Duke can win it. If it's in the 80s, Duke can win it. And if it's in the 90s, Duke can still win it. But I'm not sure if this game is in the 60s or low 70s that Carolina can win it. I think they have to score a lot. And that's not to say Carolina's defense is atrocious, although it was the first 20 games this season. But that's just to say that Duke's offense is so good, you're not keeping them down in the 60s in all likelihood unless you played the slowest molasses game. 
And so for Carolina to win, they're going to have to be good offensively. I, it, it's, I could go try and break down you know, their defensive strategy against Duke, and I suppose we can do that. But the reality is Carolina will have to score a lot of points because they're not going to stop Duke very often. Yeah, I mean, Duke finished as the top-scoring team in the ACC, and they've had really good scoring outputs in the NCAA tournament so far this season. North Carolina, 94 points, most points given up by this Duke basketball team this year. Just crazy to sit there and think back about all the points that were being scored. Brady Manick has had the Blue Devil number this season with the shots from the outside, so I'm genuinely curious to see what level of, of Brady Manick are we going to get last year it was always Caleb Love when we got set for the meetings between these two teams. And obviously, Caleb Love uh, played well in the second meeting in Cameron Indoor this year. Uh, but then the other difference, when Duke won in Chapel Hill, Armando Baycott got in early foul trouble. Duke was able to use their interior offense with Mark Williams, with Paulo Bancaro putting his head down and going to the rim, and getting Armando Baycott in foul trouble. Everything's going to be on the line here. Coaches are going to have to be more aggressive with how long you leave your guys out there. Uh, but uh, I think limiting kind of those those big player performances for North Carolina could be critical for Duke. Is it the most obvious thing that the refs are just going to let them duke it out? Yeah. Surely, right? So. Because yeah. both these teams have very short benches. Uh, Carolina's as short as it gets. They play five and a half people. I don't know if Puff Johnson counts. They play him, but they really don't want to. And I'm forgetting uh, until you brought that out that, of course, in the win over Duke, only five players played in the second half for North Carolina. The right. same five guys played the entire second right. half. Right. I, I promise you Hubert Davis would play all five if, if they wouldn't just absolutely have an exhaustion stroke in the second half. Um, so Carolina's thin, and Duke has made itself more thin. They don't play jo- – I mean, I, you guys know, but they don't play Joey Baker anymore. Right. Theo John's been playing less and less. It's effectively six and a half. I said Carolina's five and a half. It's six and a half. Keels is the sixth. Theo John will make an appearance for a time to be determined. Right. But Bates Jones should not be on the court, and they're not going to put Joey Baker on the court. You'll be excited if Bates Jones is on the court. That's who you want to shoot. Remember earlier I said you don't know if you're happy on defense anyone shoots. That's who you want to shoot if he plays. But I'm so with all that knowledge, if this is a high foul game, you're going to have some random things happening. And it would benefit Duke a little more. But like I said, if, if, you're, if you're talking about six or seven compared to five or six, one person difference. It's not like Duke plays 10. Um, so that's going to be something I'm going to look out for. I assume they're going to really let them battle. And that matchup of bigs, I mean, Baycott versus Williams, if you want to go with a matchup there, you know, Baycott had a really dadgum good game. He was 10 of 11 in that game. Now, Mark Williams was good too, but Mark Williams is good when he stops the other big, when he does his thing defensively. Anything you get offensively, maybe it's unfair at this point in the season to call it a bonus at this point, but it's still something additional what you expect. You expect great defense, rim presence, um, and rebounding. If you get 15 to 20 points, great, and he's capable of it, but you don't need that all the time. And so I, I would just be curious to see what that matchup looks like. And, and yeah, I, I just think that you're going to see the same 10 or 11 guys out there for both these teams, really the whole game, and it's going to be a war of attrition. And that's the thing when you play so few guys. These Duke guys have been really efficient because they take, for the most part, really smart shots, and they get organized, 
and that's why they've run good offense. But Carolina, they'll jack some stuff up. Kale Love will start trying to throw it in from the ocean if he wants to, and that's why he has some of the worst halves we've ever seen in North Carolina's existence, and he's also had some of the best halves I've ever seen in North Carolina's existence, like, of course, the second half the other weekend and so uh, against UCLA. So it's going to be fascinating, but like I said, I think it goes back to there's more ways Duke can win this game than North Carolina ultimately. Jim Nance and the top CBS broadcast crew has been following Mike Krzyzewski because any game now could be his final, and we're really running out of time as we go into the final weekend of the basketball season. So we'll have Nance and Grant Hill and Bill Raftery, and you were talking about getting organized. and Getting those poppies in order. I mean, I've just and, – and that, and then in addition to Bill Raftery talking about they've got to get organized. I mean, you hear that so often from him. It's been a, he's the best. I just, I enjoy, people are, there's some Bill Raftery haters out there and I'm just, I'm somebody, let's have some fun. Let the guy talk. He's having a great time. Although we expect Duke to play two, three or some sort of zone at some point, you got to at least start the game in a little man to man. (laughs) That's outstanding. Ryan, thank you for being here today. Enjoy the game coming up on Sunday. Uh, Good luck to your team. Uh, but uh, obviously you, you right, know how I, know. I want this one to end. Yeah. Hey, look, we're going to be brothers either way. That's right. So good luck to right. yours as well. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. All right. That's another edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Lavoy Zero. I'm on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of Locked On Blue Devils as soon as it's available each day. Now check out the Locked On ACC podcast for your second listen today. Busy day for me. I'm on Locked On ACC with Candace Cooper. That's going to do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.